Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, welcome to episode 103 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we're going to focus on strategy and highlight one of our favorite strategy books of all time, Blue Ocean Strategy. And we're going to secretly sneak in the word strategy as many times as possible throughout the episode with the hope that it insinuates itself into the unconscious of our listening audience. Because frankly, we feel, and we felt for quite a while, that there is something of a strategy problem among organizations in the business of lifelong learning. Well, and we even have research to back up that feeling. Uh, We, of course, recently released the fifth edition of our Venerable Association Learning Plus Technology Report. And this time around, we asked a new question about strategy. We've asked for years about strategy for the use of technology to enhance and enable learning. And that's been lacking and relatively flat over the years averaging not much more than 20%. It was 23% in 2017. But in the most recent survey for the report, we asked about general learning strategy. Does your organization have a formal, documented strategy for its learning and education business? And the percentage was better for that, 37.7%. But we argue that's still quite low given the importance of this function. Um, I'll mention too that, by the way, you can get this data and the entire association learning plus technology report by going to tagoras.com slash learn tech. So there you have it. Fewer than a quarter of organizations that have a formal documented strategy for their use of technology with learning and education, and then well under half who have just a, a strategy for their overall learning business. So there's clearly substantial room for improvement when it comes to embracing and formalizing strategy. And Fortunately, there is also plenty of help, and a lot of that comes in the form of books. And as you mentioned, Salisa, we're going to highlight one of our favorites in this episode. And I wish I had a little drum roll here. I'll have to figure out how to stick that in with the editing. But it's Blue Ocean Strategy, How to Create Uncontested Market Space and Make the Competition Irrelevant. And this is a book that was written by Chan Kim and Rene Moborn, professors at NCIAD, which is a famous French business school. And it was first published in 2005, but since then has gone on to sell millions of copies. I mean, this is a huge seller. Even if you have not read it, there's a very good chance that you have at least heard of it. It's easily one of the biggest business books of all time. And partly we want to talk about Blue Ocean Strategy because there's a follow-up to that book out, Blue Ocean Shift. And uh, we plan to talk about the new book, Blue Ocean Shift, on a future episode and and maybe with some luck uh, get one of the authors to come on the podcast as well. 
But uh, the other reason we want to talk about Blue Ocean Strategy is that we feel it is such a practical, useful book for organizations seeking to formulate a strategy for any sort of business, and that certainly includes learning businesses. That's right. And we actually highlighted Blue Ocean Strategy as part of one of our emphatically recommended readings for the Leading Learning Symposium. And strategy has, of course, been a major focus of the symposium, a major focus of our work. And one of the things that we really like about Blue Ocean Strategy is that it offers some really just practical tools that organizations can use when creating strategy. And, and really, these are useful even if, they, if the organization doesn't make it all the way to a, a true Blue Ocean Strategy. Well, here, I think would be a good place for us to talk a little bit about what Blue Ocean Strategy actually is. Uh, So the short version is that it's an approach to strategy that's based on the idea that most organizations within any field or industry compete on the same basic factors. Price and features, for example, tend to be very common ones. And so as a result, everyone tends to look the same over time, and everyone competes really fiercely to bite off their piece of the market, thus creating a bloody red ocean. However, organizations that embrace Blue Ocean strategy reconstruct their markets, and they are looking for those wide open waters where the sailing is smooth and competitors are nowhere to be seen and the waters are blue. And so the core of how they do that, uh, how these organizations do that, is that they raise the value of their offerings or create entirely new value. In fact, value innovation is really at the core of Blue Ocean strategy. So they you know, pursue value in- innovation while simultaneously controlling or even reducing costs. So you end up with an offering that's differentiated from the market and that ha- has high margins. Now, of course, that's a place most organizations would really like to be with their offerings. Oh, definitely. Um, and what we see in the market for lifelong learning is that most organizations are facing increasing levels of competition, whether or not they're fully aware of that competition. You know, technology has made it dramatically easier for prospective competitors to develop an audience as well as to develop and distribute educational offerings in a variety of ways, uh, whether online or off. And at the same time, the offerings available to lifelong learners are increasingly generic. So in spite of what we may tell ourselves, there generally isn't a lot to distinguish one conference or webinar or online course from another, at least not in the eyes of the learners. So we've found that most organizations faced with this situation try to outperform the competition by making incremental improvements in performance. But when everyone is competing on essentially the same factors, higher performance can only take you so far. Yeah, it's a frustrating situation. We've seen again and again that the effort of most organizations to make incremental changes really becomes kind of, frankly, exhausting and demoralizing. Blue Ocean organizations, on the other hand, never use the competition as a benchmark. Instead, they make it irrelevant by creating a leap in value for both buyers and the company itself. And I'm quoting directly from the book and saying that. So you can you can think, for example, of what Southwest Airlines was able to do in the airline industry by simply dropping many of the traditional aspects of airline travel, like in-flight meals, for example. When's the last time anybody saw one of those? You can thank Southwest, but they did that, and, the, and then they focus, you know, on at least initially on short-haul flights rather than having, you know, the traditional hub and spoke model that the the, the 
big mega airlines have. And as a result, you know, they were able to reduce their costs dramatically. They pass those cost savings on to the customer, mix it up with a unique culture and brand out there in the marketplace. And, and voila, the, the airline industry has really never been the same. And that's just one of the many examples that you're going to find in the book. And of course, the book offers plenty of examples, but I would say even more importantly, it offers very practical advice on how you can find your own blue ocean. We're not going to be able to cover all that advice in a single podcast, of course, but what we thought we could do is focus in on a couple of tools um, that we have often used in helping organizations develop strategy. And I'm going to mention again how essential we think strategy is. You know, organizations can and and sometimes do get by without a strategy, but having a good strategy really focuses your efforts and expenditures and, and can allow for significant growth and improvement. And that's why strategy is one of the five key domains that we focus on in the learning business maturity model. And we'll also include a link to that maturity model in the show notes for this episode. But back to Blue Ocean Strategy, um, one of the author's tools is the strategy canvas. And this reveals exactly how geeky we are about <laughs> strategy. We, we love the strategy canvas because uh, really it can help organizations understand their current situation much better. And our view is that really understanding, and we mean objectively, honestly, understanding your current situation is one of the most fundamental elements of successful strategy formulation. And it's one that is often not given enough weight, really. So, you know, whether or not you're aiming for Blue Ocean, the Strategy Canvas is an incredibly useful tool. And we'll provide a screenshot of an example in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 103. But the basic idea is that you really focus in on the competitive factors in your market. That is, you know, what are the factors on which organizations tend to compete in order to win customers? And so price is an obvious uh, factor on which organizations tend to compete. Um, it's certainly a factor in the continuing education and professional development market. Other factors in that market include things like the reputation of the presenters or instructors, uh, location and amenities like food in the case of face-to-face -face events. And it can include things like the availability of credit or the amount of access that learners will get to the instructor or some other expert for help. Th those are just a few of the possibilities. And what the Strategy Canvas helps you do is plot out those factors by rating them from low to high. You're going to rate the level of emphasis that the different competitors place on those factors and the level of emphasis that your organization places on them by comparison or, or maybe could place on them if you haven't yet entered the market. So you're, you're actually going to plot these out on a double axis chart. And you can think of what, you know, a, a chart of stock returns looks like, you know, going up and down over time. You're going to kind of plot it out like that, those factors, and really draw a line that connects each of the different types of competitors for those factors and draw a line that connects you for those factors or where you could be for those factors. And this is going to give you a really useful visual of where things currently stand in the market. And then just as importantly, it starts giving you ideas for how you might actually change your approach to the market. And that can be by increasing or reducing or maybe even eliminating your emphasis on certain factors. And then possibly adding in new factors that no one seems to be competing on at this point. You might decide in your market, for example, that you know venue and location are really not as important as the rest of the market seems to think. 
But then on the other hand, there would be tremendous value in learners having access to an expert coach during the learning process. So that might be a move you make by looking at how those factors are plotted out on the strategy canvas. And, and I'll say again that we will include a visual of a sample strategy canvas in the show notes so that you can uh, more fully picture what, what Jeff is describing here just in words. It's really powerful, and in my mind, it's a much more useful tool than, than something like the more traditional SWOT analysis where you're looking at strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats. And I know a lot of organizations rely on that, but I think the strategy canvas is, is much more powerful. Um, so that's a quick look at the strategy canvas, but we don't want to stop there. We want to highlight one other approach that plays a big role in formulating blue ocean strategy, specifically the six paths framework. Ah, yes, the six paths framework. And we, we actually like this one so much that we've done a whole series on it on the Tagoras blog. And we're going to highlight that as the resource for this episode. You'll be able to find it by going to the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 103. And we'll provide a link to the series of six blog posts, but you can also, if you like, download a single PDF that contains the full series. Now, we're not going to be able to do it full justice in the context of this single podcast episode, but we thought it'd be useful to at least highlight what the framework enables you to do. Yes. So the sixth pass framework helps you break out of your normal perspective by, as the the authors of Blue Ocean Strategy put it, by looking across the boundaries that tend to constrain how you normally do business. And they specifically offer six ways that you can look across. So these are looking across alternative industries, looking across strategic groups, looking across buyer groups, looking across complementary product and service offerings, looking across the functional, emotional orientation of an industry, and then lastly, looking across time. And so, you know, there's a lot that's buried in each of those, as you might expect, and and we examine each of them in detail in the series that you can get by going to the show notes. But, you know, just to highlight some of the possibilities here, you might, for example, if you're, say, looking across alternative industries, look at what's going on with, for example, self-publishing. So self-publishing has been huge in the, uh, the, the book publishing industry in, in general over the past, you know, say, decade or, or so. Amazon has you know, a huge uh, self-publishing arm at this point. And you can certainly look at that from the perspective of also being an educational publisher or an e-learning publisher. And in fact, you know, Udemy and Skillshare and similar companies have already done this to a large extent in taking the concept of book self-publishing and applying it to e-learning. So you can go to those sites and, you know, as a subject matter expert, you get the tools to be able to create and publish online courses. You get to put them into a marketplace just as you might with an Amazon Kindle book. And they've created a, a tremendous market by doing this. Now, we'd argue that there, there's still niche opportunities in this area. I mean, Udemy and Skillshare and the others haven't completely taken this particular market approach. Um, so, you know, if you're in a focused niche, which of course most membership organizations are, what if you were to provide a similar platform for your subject matter experts to to self-publish? And you might even partner with a company like a Udemy or a Skillshare to do that. But uh, you know, by em- embracing that sort of looking across into alternative industries, in this case, the publishing industry, you may come up with the ideas that, that help you to, to break through and, and head towards that blue ocean. Yes, and there certainly are opportunities 
also in looking across strategic groups and, and to better understand what Kim and Moborn mean by strategic groups. Think, for example, of the luxury car market versus the economy car market. Both fall within the same overall industry, automobiles, but the sellers pursue very different strategies for serving essentially the same functional need. And these kinds of differing strategic approaches within uh, exist within nearly every field or industry, and the lifelong learning market is certainly no exception. And Jeff, you and I, we've argued for years that there's a lot of focus around the middle of this market where trade and professional associations along with community colleges and university and, and college continuing education programs compete on what I'd say is moderate price, moderate performance offerings. Um, and if you think about this in terms of the value ramp approach that we advocate, most of these organizations focus too much on the middle. So they often don't have that much to offer at either the low price or the high price end of their value curves. And we'll make sure to link to the value ramp uh, in the show notes as well. And so typically what we see is opportunities at both ends of the value ramp. Um, and we're particularly excited about the possibilities for offerings that might be classified as executive education that could fill a gap in the upper part of the value ramp for, for most organizations. You know, executive education is a roughly billion-dollar market. Um, it's traditionally housed within university business schools, um, and customers, often corporate buyers, typically pay thousands, if not tens of thousands, for non-credit, non-degree programs. Uh, executive education offerings may be open enrollment or customized, but in either case, they tend to provide relatively small group, intimate access to, to really top-notch experts. And you know the traditional view has been that face-to-face -face interaction is really uh, necessary for the level of learning um, that executive education aims at, and the need for face-to-face -face interaction with those you know relatively high-priced instructor instructors has, has really driven the cost structure. But you know if we look at the advances in technology and particularly those that that support much more dynamic and, uh, and effective approaches to online collaboration and, and blended learning, then you know, there's a real potential for the executive education market to be disrupted. Um, we'll say again that you can access the Sixth Paths series um, for more thoughts on this and, um, and the other ways to look across. This is just one small example of how looking across strategic groups might yield some really excellent opportunities. So, you know, self-publishing when uh, looking across uh, alternative industries, executive education when looking at uh, different strategic groups. So, you know, just really changing your thinking. And those are just a, a couple of examples with just two of the paths. But as you've already mentioned, Salisa, there are other paths. And in addition to looking across the alternative industries and across the strategic groups, there's once again, looking across buyer groups, looking across complementary product and service offerings offerings, looking across the functional, emotional orientation of an industry, and looking across time. And we explain all of those, give examples, uh, hopefully give you some food for thought uh, in each of those areas uh, within the, uh, the, the series. And we'll leave it to you, our, our dear listeners, to explore those on your own or Better yet, and we often advocate this, make it a collaborative project in which you get multiple people within your organization, whether that's within your education team or cross-functionally, get everybody to read the series and then get together and pursue that whole exercise of looking across these paths 
to see what the opportunities uh, are out there for your organization. You can get show notes for this episode by going to leadinglearning.com slash episode 103, and there you will get access to the Sixth Pass series that you can use to guide that work on your own or that group work. You will also see there a visual of the strategy canvas map that we talked about, and you also see a link to our association learning plus technology report, which was the source of the data about strategy that we cited at the opening of this episode. While you're there, you will also see the various options that are available for subscribing to the Leading Learning Podcast. And if you are getting value out of the podcast, if you appreciate hearing about things like Blue Ocean Strategy, then we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. You can do that by going to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate this because it lets us know that we're having an impact with the podcast and it also helps others find the podcast. And consider telling others about the podcast. And you really need to try this out. If you just go to leadinglearning.com slash share, it's actually going to create a tweet for you. All you got to do is just go to that link and it pops up a tweet box. It's already filled with some language and you can send that thing right out. It's that easy and it's cool. Uh, you should check out that, that particular technology. It might be something you want to use for your own organization. If you're not into tweeting, just take that language, put it into Facebook, put it into LinkedIn, Heck, put it in an email and send it to somebody. But whatever you do, share the good word about the podcast. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.